you might have noticed that I don't bombard you with ads during Weekend Better episodes. It's a conscious choice because I really want you to have the most enjoyable listening experience possible. But it turns out that running a podcast ain't cheap. My solution is not a Patreon account or a donation drive. Instead, I've come up with a cool way for you to show your support for the podcast by rocking an awesome Weekend Birder t-shirt. And it's not just any t-shirt, it's a Bird of the Year t-shirt. That's right, a Swift Parrot t-shirt. T-shirt sales will help me pay for all the behind-scenes costs that keep this podcast running smoothly. And $5 from every t-shirt will go to BirdLife Australia, who have given their stamp of approval. Whether you're a long-time listener or just tuning in for the first time, I'm so grateful that you're here. Your support means the world to me. And I'm thrilled to offer you a fun way to join the ad-free movement. Visit weekendbirder.com to find out more. This episode was recorded on the country of the Bundjalung people. Their country extends from northeast New South Wales to southeast Queensland, from Grafton in the south to Tenterfield in the west and to Bow Desert and Beanley in the north. What an amazing part of the world. I would like to pay my respect to elders past and present. Welcome to Weekend Birder. I'm your host, Kirsty Costa. And welcome to our most requested episode topic. Today, we are going to get a general introduction to birds of prey. And then, in future Weekend Birder episodes, we are going to grow our knowledge of specific bird species. Many thanks to Weekend Birder listeners, Amanda, Andrew, Cara, Jeff, Glenn, Jessica, Leanne, Michael, Nirala, Roslyn, Sarah, Cherie, Simon, Trevor, and Zoe for suggesting this important topic. I'm really crap at identifying birds of prey, so I can't wait to listen along with you. I'm excited to introduce you to Stephen Debus. Stephen is the author of Birds of Prey Australia, a field guide. He's an adjunct in zoology at the University of New England, and he also works at the local land services bird of prey monitoring project. Here is how Stephen's interest and knowledge of birds has grown over time. I grew up in suburban Sydney in in Balmain, and then we moved briefly to the northern beaches, and then to the country, a little country town in the Riverina, and 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 I was in would have been the end of kindergarten, started in year one, next year in um, at Yarana, little town, and just noticed the big big difference in the birds, you know, the numbers and variety and all that, and um, yeah, that started off the interest in birds in general, I guess, the move to the country, and I wanted, of course, to identify know how to identify them. In those days, there wasn't much around in the way of books. There was, I think, Cayley's What Bird Is That, and Leech's Australian Bird Book, and that was about it. And and my parents gave them to me over you know, a couple of Christmases or something or birthdays and um, yeah started from there I think also back in those days you know in the 60s it was um, farmers you know graziers that had sheep used to shoot wedgetail eagles and hang them on fences and so when we were driving around we'd often come across those and, and you know, we'd stop and have a, a close look at them I started out you know, biology in high school and then and zoology and ecology at uni and um, there was a bit of a, a lapse in jobs for a while there so I did a, tried a bit of a stint at science teaching in, in high school but that didn't really work out so I managed to, to um, get a job with um, UNE Armadale after I'd completed the diploma in natural resources there in doing a wildlife sort of stream. I was able to work for Hugh Ford who's a well-known ornithologist. I, I was a research assistant for him in the field and then that gradually went from there um, Soon after that, Harry Recker moved to Armadale. He's a well-known 
scientist and um, I did some bird banding for him and they convinced me to um, do a, a master's on, on owls actually, um, do some field work on owls as part of a funded project. They got some money from World Wildlife Fund at the time to, to look at the large forest owls in relation to the old growth forest debate in the early 90s. So I went from there and from then on I've been working, I did a PhD on threatened woodland birds and um, been doing some consulting for various um, you know, government departments and, and industry and so on, doing surveys and assessments and so on for various threatened species. But yeah, the main focus for me has always been on the birds of prey. And nowadays, I'm lucky to be paid to do that, doing um, surveys and monitoring of threatened raptors for the Northern Tablelands and local land services up here in, in northern New South Wales. In the 1990s and early 2000s, Stephen was invited to contribute to the Handbook of Australian, New Zealand and Antarctic Birds. This seven-volume book set provided a comprehensive summary of all the known bird species that had been recorded across these continents. You might have seen it before. The first book had two emperor penguins on its blue front cover. I was asked to um, contribute some of the bird of prey texts for that because I had, by that stage, published my natural resources thesis on little eagles. So the spin-off from the big book was a little field guide on the birds of prey, and that's gone to um, several editions now. Yeah, and then, then a colleague of mine came up with the idea of a, of a photographic flight guide as well to Birds of Prey, so we've done both. I've done a little field guide um, that was a spin-off from the big book, and then um, there, the photographic guide as well. So, yeah, there's a couple of field guides out there devoted to Birds of Prey. And you can go into the running to win a copy of Stephen's field guide by subscribing to the monthly letter. Visit the Weekend Better website for more information. The first thing that I want to know about birds of prey is exactly which birds are given that normal label. sort of view. And before they did all the sort of DNA work as well, was was that eagles, hawks, falcons, kites, and and so on, and the various groups within them, like the um, the bazaar and the harriers and so on, they were all sort of lumped together as birds of prey. They're the ones with the hook beak and the talons and so on for catching prey. Um, and sometimes people think of owls as well because they've got the same hook bill and the talons, but, but they're night birds. They're sort of th- thought of as nocturnal birds of prey as well. But now that they've done the DNA, they're, they're actually in separate orders. The eagles and hawks and kites and so on are separate from the falcons, which are separate from the owls. And the owls have turned out to be a bit closer to the, the hawk family than, than the falcons are. And the falcons, oddly enough, are more related to the parrots and, and the songbirds. But, um, but they do things the same way. So they, they're united by their feet and their, their beak and their way of hunting and what they eat and so on. But it's um, yeah, pretty much confined to those families. The terms raptor and bird of prey are often used interchangeably, but they actually have slightly different meanings. Raptor is a broader term that refers to any bird of prey as well as other birds that have some similar characteristics, like owls. As Stephen just mentioned, raptors are characterised by their sharp hooked bills, intense eyes and powerful feet, known as talons. Bird of prey refers to raptors that primarily eat animals with a backbone, which we call vertebrates, such as mammals, reptiles and other birds. Because of this, they may also have other body features, such as sharp wings for fast flying while chasing after their next meal. As Stephen said, birds of prey in Australia include falcons, hawks, eagles, kites, harriers and offspray. When we are bird watching, these are often the nondescript brown birds that are flying high in the sky or disappearing off into the distance. So Stephen is here to help us become birds of prey ID experts. You usually see them in flight and one of the clues is that the length and shape of the wings and the length and shape of the tail and the angle that they hold their wings at when they're soaring or gliding, you know, whether they're holding them in sort of upswept in a sort of shallow V or 
level with the body or, or dripped, you know, below the body or a bit arched or something with the tips below the body. So the, the attitude, the wing attitude is, is um, important for distinguishing some similar ones in, at, at, at a distance. That's the other thing is you often see them at a distance. So, yeah, it's, it's getting those sort of basic features. And if you're up close, you might be able to determine things like plumage markings, particular things like a, a pale patch in the wing towards the end of the wing or something, or in one or two cases, a, a pale rump or something. Eye colour and, and leg length and colour if you're up close um, and if they're perched, sometimes the relative sort of length of the wings and tail when they're, when they're at rest, some, in some species the wings only come down part way down the tail, others to the end of the tail or even beyond in a, in a few and the legs might be you know, bare or feathered and the feathered legs separate the eagles from the rest. A few species might have a crest or calls of some are quite distinctive as well so um, I guess it's putting it all together. Yeah, the way they move, the way they fly in the air, that whether they're sort of fast or slow or whether they hover or not or circling or, or perching a lot. That's great advice. So to recap, unless you're an experienced birder, don't start with a wing colour or pattern. Instead, focus on the length and shape of the wings, the length and shape of the tail, the angle that the bird is holding its wings at and the speed and flying behaviour. If you happen to get close to a bird of prey or can get a really good look in your binoculars, then you also have a chance of noticing the feather colour and the patterns or the eye colour and the leg colour. And you might even hear the bird's call. The wedge-tailed eagle is Australia's largest bird of prey and is actually one of the largest eagles in the whole entire world. It has a wingspan of 2.3 metres. 2.3 metres? That's insane. Stephen says it's probably one of the easier birds of prey to identify. They're often the most distinctive because they're large, large and dark, and they have that sort of diamond-shaped tail that it's almost like a reverse wedge. In effect, the um, the tail is fairly pointed, like it, it tapers towards the tip. So they've got that diamond-shaped tail and, and large uh, upswept wings, and they're very dark with a, a bit of a pale area towards the end of the wing near the, near the base of the flight feathers, and they get up really high, soar very high and so on, and spend a lot of time circling. If you happen to see them close up or perch, they would have the big baggy feathered legs. The little eagles are quite a lot smaller. They'd be not much more than half the size of a wedge tail, different tail shape. They've got a tail shape that's fairly square cut across the tip when it's folded and um, they hold their wings fairly level when they're soaring and gliding. They, they're sort of not sharply upswept like a, like a wedge tail or a sea eagle and, and they're quite vocal too and they get up right up high and they sometimes you'll even see a little eagle swooping at a wedge tail to sort of try to move it out of its territory or something. Little eagles are, um, are, are quite pale underneath with a distinctive underwing pattern too. Um, but there is a dark form as well as a little eagle, which looks a lot like a, a midget wedge tail, but with the flatter wings and the, and the squarer tail. I always get a bit of a thrill out of seeing a little eagle displaying high in the air and calling because they do these undulating dives while they're calling or diving at prey like i mean little eagles are pretty impressive too i mean if you think peregrines are impressive i, I saw one little eagle um recently it was only about two or three times treetop height it just did this sudden vertical fast dive straight to the ground and, and whack into a rabbit that was underneath some sort of trees and shrubs they, they do some pretty spectacular things when i first started bird watching i often got the wedge-tailed eagle and the little eagle confused but clearly they are quite different and I just wasn't focusing my attention on the right things. So it's a good reminder that the feather colour of birds of prey aren't always the best way to identify them. The Nankeen kestrel and black-shouldered kite are two other birds of prey found in most parts of Australia. They are my favourite birds to play spotto when driving along a freeway or a country road because of the way that they hover in the air and because they're a bit closer, so it is actually easier to see their body features and their feather colours. 
first thing is when they, when they're hovering, they're they're actually using the air as kind of a, an aerial perch. They're scanning the ground below for a small prey, like a you know mice or insects or lizards or something. There's the two main kinds that people are likely to see hovering um, is the Nankin kestrel. It's small and slim, and it hovers usually fairly horizontally with uh, with the body pretty level, and it has a prominent dark tail tip. And if you see it on the back, it's a sort of a rusty colour, like you know light sort of orangey brown or you know rusty. Um, the other one that's often hovering is a black-shouldered kite. They're in different families. Of course, kestrel is a falcon, and the and the black-shouldered kite is a hawk. The kite is the the really pure white one on the head and underneath with the grey wings and and depending on the angle you see it at you might pick up the black patch on each sort of forewing on the on the top side and they often hold their body at a bit of an angle so they're, they're kind of dangling in the air more than sort of sitting flat they're a bit chunkier than a kestrel shorter tail and broader wings and so on and sort of pure white and grey rather than the sort of creamy and rusty with a with a black tail tip but yeah they're the common roadside ones there are over 20 species of birds of prey in Australia. Here is some more information about the common ones that you might see in your area. Depends where you are. Up, up, you know, in the inland or up in the tropics, of course, black kites are very common. They're sort of a dark brown with a forked tail. You can see them in flocks soaring around over, you know, settlements, you know, like rubbish dumps and abattoirs and things and, and um, fires. They're attracted to grass fires. They've even got a reputation for spreading fires by picking up a burning ember and dropping it somewhere else in the grass to, you know, to flush out prey and so on. Whistling kites can be fairly common near, near water especially. They're a bit bulkier than a, than a black kite and a lot paler. They've got a long rounded tail and quite a lot of pale area on the top side of their wings and they tend to have their wings arched rather than sort of flat like a black kite. And they're very vocal. They call a lot, hence the name, a whistling kite. They've got a long sort of whistling call of many notes that they give. You can see white-bellied sea eagles fairly regularly on the coast, um, at least where I am. And I, you know, maybe not so common down south, but um, you know, Victoria, Tasmania, they're there. But I'm not sure how common they are there. But they're certainly regular on the coast in New South Wales and further north. Throughout the um, Murray-Darling Basin, I, the, my record for breeding sea eagles is on the Warrigo out past Burke, actually. So they're right through the Murray-Darling Basin. Sea eagles? Turns out they're not just living near the sea. Stephen also has some great tips about how to use your binoculars to watch birds of prey. I guess the general rule is you, you, you focus on the bird with your eyes and then you bring the binoculars up to your eyes rather than trying to find the bird in the binoculars by sort of looking through the binoculars and scanning the sky. I mean, I, you can pick up birds of prey in the distance that way. I often scan the horizon with binoculars, but they're often at such a distance that, you know, it's a, it's a trick to identify them. But you can see them with the naked eye. You've got a pretty good chance of identifying them through binoculars if you see them first and then bring the binoculars up to your eyes when you're actually looking at the bird. And of course, if they're perched, um, a telescope can be very helpful as well. I, I use a spotting scope for looking at nests and so on if I'm watching a, a raptor nest or something like that. Or a distant one perched, you know, often a scope is handy if you happen to see one that's hundreds of metres away perched. A telescope um, is good for that. Larger powered binoculars can sometimes help you get a bit closer to the bird of prey I suppose I mean a lot of people for bird watching just use an eight or ten times but um, I, I was given a pair of 12 times uh, older style binoculars recently and uh, there's not a lot of difference in power between 10 and 12 I've got 10 power anyway but the higher your power of magnification the better the chance you have of seeing enough detail on the bird. Stephen has been watching and listening and studying birds of prey for most of his career 
Here are some of his most memorable experiences. I, I remember my f- sort of first sightings of some of the falcons, uh, particularly peregrine. You know, like the first time I saw a peregrine it was barely into view and I, I, I could see what it was. And then it did this sudden stoop at a, at a magpie lark from fairly high up in the air. And, you know, the speed was pretty impressive. Certainly remember my first uh, encounters with grey falcons and red goshawks because they're, they're quite rare. And um, my, the first grey falcon was actually while I was doing a survey for the first Australian bird atlas. I just happened to see one perched beside the track we were driving on once and it, it took off and flew alongside the vehicle for a while. And, and of course, red goshawks, I, I was lucky with them. I um, was actually a volunteer on the bird life. Well, then in those days, it was RAOU, um, Red Goshawk Project up in Kakadu and, you know, sort of getting out of the vehicle when we arrived and sort of stepping into the CSRO compound up there in Capalga in Kakadu and, and they, were, they were nesting in the grounds of the compound and, and quite tame and I just spent a few days watching them from a hide there. Black-breasted buzzards way way back, it would have been in the early 70s when you were still allowed to climb Uluru. I climbed up there with my father and um, this pair of black-breasted buzzards just came zooming into view, did a few circuits and then off into the distance like they do, you know, sort of from one horizon to the other, but a couple of obliging circuits of the of the rock while I was standing there. The other nice things I've, I've done is um, watch the full breeding cycle of about half of our birds of prey, find them when they're building a nest and watch them until they, their young become independent is, uh, is, is really good and you know, it's a great way to get to know them and um, be able to recognise you know, them and identify them in in future and um and seeing that you know the sort of first flights of fledglings you know like seeing a wedgie take its first flight or a couple of hobbies or whatever it was a little little eagle on one occasion i think um yeah it's pretty special to sort of see a, a bird of prey take its first flight from the nest stephen says that as an ethical and respectful bird watcher there are things that you and i can do to ensure that australia's birds of prey continue to thrive in the wild there's a bit of a trend in these days to, to um, go for the prize photo of a, a breeding raptor and the risk is you could keep them off the nest and keep the parents, attending parents off the nest too long if, you, if you're sort of paying too much attention too closely. Um, you know, flushing and keeping the adults off exposes the eggs or chicks to the, to the weather or to predators and it stops the parents from feeding their young. So avoiding disturbance to active nests, you know, keeping a distance and not flushing them is, is another important thing. Contributing to citizen science projects like, like logging sightings of raptors and nests into wildlife atlas schemes, joining um, you know citizen science projects uh, that are related to raptors. Like we've got quite a few participants, like public like volunteers in in the the bird of prey monitoring up here. If there are people in northern New South Wales that are listening, we'd really love to know where additional nests of little eagles or square-tailed kites or white-bellied sea eagles are. They're our target, our main target species on the northern tablelands. There are other species. We've got barking owls here too. It's a bit harder to keep track of them because I can't work day and night. We have black falcons, but I haven't got any breeding records for the tablelands as such. I don't think they breed here. And spotted harriers um, are the other one. We'd love to, you know, local land services um, would love to hear of any additional nests of those of our target species on, on the northern tablelands. And I'm sure there are people elsewhere. I, I do know that um, local land services in the Riverina of New South Wales are now targeting black falcons. So they would love to know where there are black falcons um, nesting in, in the Riverina of New South Wales. And I guess, well, I'd sort of even over the border, over the Murray would, would possibly be of interest as well. Um, and I know that the Victorian Peregrine Project has uh, had volunteers and so on, so you can get involved in you know, conservation and, and research projects. I've put links to some of the citizen science projects that Stephen just mentioned in the show notes. 
In this episode, we've received a general introduction to birds of prey. When trying to identify a bird, we've learnt that it's useful to focus on the length and shape of its wings and tail, its wing angle, and its speed and flying behaviour. We've also grown our knowledge about some of the common birds of prey that we might see around Australia. And we've got to know Stephen, his books and his love of raptors. Anyone who has subscribed to the monthly letter will automatically be put into the draw to win a copy of Birds of Prey of Australia. And thanks for taking the time to consider buying a t-shirt for yourself or for a loved one so that this podcast can keep on keeping on. In the next episode, we are going to go birdwatching in Canberra.